Hello and welcome to Conversations with Ipswich School. Today we're talking about entrepreneurship with former student Josh Turner and specifically Josh's passion for social entrepreneurship and mentoring. Josh is joining myself and six former Ollie from New York and we're thrilled to be talking to him from a rather drizzly Ipswich. Hello, Josh. Hi. It's pretty, pretty drizzly here as well, to be fair. Good. Thank you. That makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> I'll be handing over to Ollie in the, uh, the sixth form at Ipswich School. Hello, Ollie. How are you doing, Saskia? And Josh, Josh, thank you so, so much for making time for us in your very, very, very busy schedule. So first and foremost, what is Stand For Socks? So we sell socks. And I'm sorry to say that again. That's always what we lead with. And it's always a funny one because... You know, I'm, I'm that guy at a party or a networking thing when someone says, what do you do? And I say, I sell socks. They think I'm genuinely joking. They go, oh, especially here in New York or in London, they'd be like, oh, you sell stocks, you're a stockbroker. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I literally, I sell socks. That's, that's what I do for a living. Because it's one of those products that, you know, back when we started, what, 2014, just people, it just was overlooked. You know, it's an item we all wear, male, female, old, young, that we give very little active thought to, but it's been around since the ancient Egyptian times. And we kind of, I just saw it as this this dull over sort, you know, four item. And at the time, ties were kind of the way to stand out. If you're wearing a suit, your tie was your way to be bold. And I saw the decline of ties kind of happening and socks being that kind of very subtle statement, a way to say, you know, you wear bright red socks with a black suit, like you're making a statement subtly. And we took that concept and basically thought, right, People are wearing socks and people want to support causes. And let's take basically three very different businesses, Tom Shoes, the Livestrong kind of wristbands idea, rubber wristbands, and Happy Socks. And let's kind of merge all these ideas together into one, which is not, Business 101 is not not a good idea. And various other things over the years we've done and, and iterated. But yeah, kind of this idea of, you know, what if socks could change the world? And I will admit this, this idea came over a beer with friends and... Uh, I always liked fun, colourful socks. And then four or five beers later, it became a lot better idea. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of this idea that, you know, everyone needs socks. And if every single pair of socks can do a little bit of good, you know, is it actually a crazy idea to think socks can change the world? And we've changed a lot over the years, but, you know, we raised lots of money for various charities. We raise awareness of a huge amount of causes and, and have a direct social impact as well through donation of socks. So, yeah, that's kind of what we do. Um, yeah, e-commerce uh, brand mostly, but we collaborate with a lot of uh, fantastic companies as well along the way. From a from a consumer standpoint, the majority of your socks are, are over £10 a pair. What I'll ask you, Joss, is what, what differentiates them from standard socks we could purchase from, let's say, Sports Direct? Get me back on Dragon's Den mode now. Um, very good question, though. I think, you know, on the face of it, a sock is a sock. And I have this conversation with... Um, my grandma, she's 97 quite often, like she thinks it's crazy that people go on the internet and, and buy socks um, and especially kind of, you know, our prices. But I know far too much about how socks are made for a 32-year-old. And, you know, we've really iterated over the years in the yarns we use, the technology of how our socks are made. You know, we claim, self-proclaim, but that we make the most comfortable socks on the planet. Um, they're really high quality, really unique designs and how we're able to engineer them and super, super comfortable um, because, you know, we need to be able to sell at a higher price to be able to afford to donate another pair. So we had to make, to be able to donate loads and loads of socks and not just be a one-off thing. We had to make, you know, the greatest socks in the history of feet. And I would say we, we've, we've done that. We're always iterating still, you know, um, 
however many years it is and now far too many amazing and that's that's really the exactly the, the response i wanted because the quality of your your socks look exceptional amazing feedback online especially throughout throughout media Another question I'd, I want to potentially lead with and go on to discuss is you've donated over 340,000 pairs of socks, not individual socks, 340,000 pairs of socks. And these just aren't standard socks. Some of these socks are catered for the homeless, I believe, that offer extra protection for the kind of elements they're exposed to. You've also donated 20,000 pairs to Ukraine what has given you the, the idea and momentum to give these big, big, big charitable donations? Yeah, so kind of going back to the start, you know, we wanted to change the world with socks. Lovely idea. Um, but how do you kind of do that? And we started with the UN Global Goals. And we said, right, what are the biggest causes in the world today are the biggest problems? And let's start there. And, you know, that's how we would, would approach it. And, you know, the UN back in 2015 had these eight goals. Um, just after two months after we launched, they expanded it to 17, uh, which we didn't see coming. So that was great. Um, but it was, you know, this idea of you buy this sock and you can plant 10 trees or, you know, reduce child mortality by vaccinating kids against measles with these other socks. And it was all great. We were having, you know, very, very small. I was living back in, in Suffolk in my mum's, well, in mum's house, but I was working out of the shed in the garden on benefits and the rest of it. And I was kind of having this great international, well, in a very small way, but international impact, but kind of ignoring people closest to home. And the, basically the story goes, we had one design, it was HIV and AIDS. I designed all the socks, which still relatively do today, purely from, we can't afford to, to pay people to at the time. So I learned graphic design and love to tell people I'm a global fashion designer, which the wife hates. But basically I had this one design that just completely just flopped. I got it completely wrong, misjudged it. Um, and I donated it to a homeless shelter in Ipswich. And the shelter, I just like, you know, we've got these socks. We can't sell them at Christmas. Do you guys just want them? And the response they turned around was just like, you know, no one ever donates socks. You know, socks are the most requested item we get asked for. Uh, you know, as homeless people, we're walking more than the average person, you know, as much as 10 miles a day. And, you know, not having fresh, clean socks can lead to a number of, you know, very serious foot health issues. And it was kind of like that penny dropping moment of going, wait, we're, you know, feeling good and we're trying to do stuff on international causes in Africa and Asia and everywhere. But we were ignoring people closest to home and we had, frankly, a product that was perfect for it and a supply chain and, and you know, expertise and engineering and stuff that, you know, we could help. So basically, we, we kind of pivoted a lot to that. You know, we still do the international causes, but it's about 10% of what we do. Um, but the buy one, give one, you know, you tell our customers, you buy one pair of socks from us, we donate a pair to someone in need. Um, and over the years, obviously, we've been able to really engineer that sock to the greatest need. So, you know, we take a very good hiking sock, we reverse engineer it to the needs of a homeless person. I love our Liam Gallagher socks, but, you know, someone on the streets of Manchester probably doesn't need that sock. So, you know, we've got black and grey hard-wearing ones. But, you know, as again, our scales increase, we now beyond rough sleepers to all the definitions of homeless, refugees, food banks, elderly, and, and obviously more recently Ukraine, where, yeah, that was that was a mission getting 20,000 pairs into Ukraine. And we've actually just come back from Istanbul last week and we've, we've just signed off to get another 100,000 pairs into Ukraine this year. So, which has been a bit of a challenge, but no, really proud to kind of be able to do that and, you know, we're always adapting and evolving what we're doing in our giving, but it's always mapped on what the need is and, and the ever-changing kind of world we live in. Amazing. I, I, I guess we touched on this initially at the start of the call, but is this your first business, which you said it isn't? And if not, could you elaborate on your 
entrepreneurial journey so your successes and your failures within various exploits you've, you've had over your lifetime? Many, many and many. I think my first ever businesses, according to my mum, would be rounding up items around the house and selling it back to my family, which was a great I had great profit you know, margin on it. Uh, I think my mum shut me down when I started taking her jewellery and tried to sell it back to her. I don't know if it was, it was pretty legal, but, you know, and, and then I remember at one time I was, we lived in, uh, in the countryside and I'd set up a little shop by the road with, with some kids next door and we were selling items from my houses to people driving past. And I remember they, they getting shut us down because people were knocking on our doors going to the parents going, do they know you're, you're, they're selling your items on the street? Um, so no, always kind of looking at opportunities and things like that and, you know, that evolved. I, I got a few jobs when I was young, you know, pet supply job where basically it was a pet shop that had no pets. It was just carrying sacks of horse feed and stuff to people's cars and it's like three pounds an hour. And I was like, no, this is very hard work for the amount of reward I'm kind of getting. And that's when I really turned my attention to kind of online and sourcing and started to think what people my age, you know, wanted and was buying you know, clothing online, uh, electronics and things like that and selling it in school, which I got a bit of trouble with. Um, but then, you know, then started to then got that supply door shut and turned to eBay, had a lot of stock and um, started to sell quite a lot on eBay and became an eBay power seller and, and moved through selling a lot on there. And ironically, that came back full circle because we, last year or two years ago, we did a massive campaign with eBay for social enterprises and did a TV ad and things with them. Um, so it's always funny how these, these things go full circle. Amazing. A little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. What's your highest and lowest moments you've had throughout your whole your whole journey? Very good question. It's really hard because I think the start the highest, I think that always seems easier. It's the points of reflection when I look back and realise there's always that next milestone and even where we are now you know we're about to launch in the us i'm based here in new york and you know hugely exciting as well but you know there's points back when you want to just get to a certain revenue per day or certain revenue per month and like that seems impossible until it's done and then once it's done you don't really even acknowledge it and you're you've raised that number again or you've raised the goalposts again which is a good thing to do but equally you know if i look back now the last you know eight years i've never dreamed of from my mum's shed to what we're doing today. Um, but I also see where we're going. I'm like, we're miles away from where we want to get to. Um, but I think, you know, meeting Richard Branson in New York again, it was only very brief, but, you know, that kind of moment and the places these socks have taken me, um, all sorts from uh, London Stock Exchange, Dragon's Den, you know, on a yacht with Tony Blair, when everyone's walking around in socks, it was fantastic. You know, like just some fantastic like moments that, you know, a career in a corporate job might not have taken me. I mean, it still would have done different stuff. So, you know, being able to take something from nothing to build it into something has been kind of fantastic. And I just, you know, I love that it's kind of mine in the sense that like I've created this and it's not been given to me and I've built it. So I think that's probably my proudest achievement, you know, or overall. I think in terms of the lowest, I think for two, two things always jump to mind. I think there was definitely a point early on when, probably a couple of years into the business and I'd left a corporate grad scheme. My friends were all going the kind of classic go to London corporate jobs. We're starting to like look at buying cars and getting off the grad schemes promotions. And I was frankly running this sub company on benefits or 60 quid a week. And I, had, I knew everyone knew I was doing this. So I was always like, I'm running this sub company. What's Josh doing? He's running a sub company. And I'm like, the sub company is making like 20 quid a week. <laughs> like it's not, it's not working. And you know, I think that was one of my lowest points. And I, 
I do remember, I, I, and at the time, I, I loved it. You know, I didn't think it was my lowest point. I, I still love what I got to do every day, even though I was working crazy hours every week and barely even making twenty pound, and well, frankly, losing money all the time. Mm. But it was just kind of that point of realizing this journey we were on, and I think that the social impact we were having kind of got me through that. I think if we didn't have the social impact, and I was seeing you know, kids being vaccinated against measles and things like that on such a small scale we were doing it, it kind of gave us the purpose and the energy to go, I'm not making much money. <laughs> My friends are all, but look at what we are doing from this. So it is doing something good. And um, I think that, and I think also over the years, we've had, you know, team members come and, and leave and we've had to let them go. And that part's always really hard because, you know, I'm always wanted for you to go on the up and it's you know never always a straight bell curve of, you know, going straight up. It's It's up and down and you know, COVID was great for us, which always sounds very bad. And post-COVID to be very challenging the last year with cost of living. So, you know, the low points is when you have to let team members go who are very passionate and you want to keep. But it's it's, it's always tough and it's up it's ups and downs. And I think every day you just take it and you take the, it's, it's uh, the over both, up and down. It's all the journey, you know, the journeys. I'm enjoying the journey. I'm never looking for the destination really. Have you ever wanted to quit? No, 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 I don't. No, I don't think I have. Because again, it's 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 not something I've been forced to do. It's not a job or a mortgage I've got to pay that I've got to do this. I chose to do this and I built it from nothing to something and, you know, something now hopefully to something even bigger. So no, I, I enjoy it. And, you know, it won't, don't get me wrong, like in the early days, I was doing all the customer service, applying to every email of every customer about, you know, Debbie's ordered the wrong pair of socks and the wrong size. And, you know, it, it, that stuff does wear off on you eventually. You know, it really does drain you. I used to love it. And then years and years of doing it, I hate it. And, you know, this week been very tough. I've been doing all the designs for Christmas. And again, that's grown from something I used to love doing to now having a lot of pressure and stress. But I've got to keep doing it. Um, dogs, dog, dog's barking. Socks, socks <laughs> for dog. But uh, she, she's, she's agreeing to me on that one. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know if I wanted to quit. I think what I do is I try and avoid my... I have a really good mentor and I've had him for many years now and he's more of a kind of business coach in the sense that he helps focus me on what I want for my life and he's got married last year and things like that and he helps me with the kind of, you know, it's not a it's not a job at the end of the day what I do and it's, you know, I want to remote work and I went to go work in Vietnam for a couple of months before the pandemic and he helps coach me to do those sort of things and will reflect back on me like Josh you were complaining two years about this thing and you're still doing it like why are you doing that so I never wanted to quit I think when I find stuff hard or I don't enjoy it as much I try and outsource it or you know bring in freelancers or finance I was always very bad at that we got some very good accountants to take over that and that stuff drains my energy or writing long blog posts for my dyslexia like that drains me but some people they love doing that my dad's my dad's in finance he loves numbers give him to that whereas I love designs and marketing so when I quit and I find stuff hard I just try and shift my energy to what brings me energy and I find easier that other people might find hard and that's kind of my best best way of doing it, yeah. Talking about business, generally in the UK, we're going onto the BBC, it's eight o'clock in an evening, and we're gonna watch Dragon's Den. So I wanna I want to hear from your personal experience what happened with Dragon's Den, what would is actually what would is actually like, what was the process like of applying or were you approached? And what was it like to be grilled by the dragons? Yeah, so I think I'll say what I can and I'll see what I'll probably think about after is what I'm not supposed to say. But anyways, um, no, I mean, it's a fantastic thing. And I think growing up, I you know, I give Richard Branson a lot of credit as my kind of inspiration. But, you know, Dragon's Den, you know, has has been phenomenal influence as well, and as well as Apprentice and stuff. I, these shows are always changing, obviously. But, you know, I think really 
you know, just inspiring young people and, and people's interest from a consuming point of view and an entrepreneurship point of view in these things is fantastic. Um, but no, Dragon's Den, so we, then they approached us and I'd always thought, you know, it'd be great to do it, you know, and there's all the different stories of PR and the awareness and, and all of that. And, but also, you know, you're frankly in no control over the edit. So it's, it's at the end of the day, you, the thing I went into it with eyes wide open, you know, I'd, We'd been going a fair few years. We knew a lot of people that had done it, hadn't done it, had, you know, all sorts of horror stories, good and bad. And I think we we went in eyes wide open and we appreciated it was a big opportunity to raise our awareness to that next level. Um, yeah, so when they approached us, I, I kind of, the first year we'd kind of was like, yeah, yes, but no thank you. And it wasn't a snub. It was more of a, I don't know, it doesn't really feel right. We're, we've, we're not this small anymore. You know, is it the right direction? And I thought, you know, just give, give it a go. And, so yeah, we 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 agreed to go on it, and you go for a very long process and lots of interviews and behind the scenes stuff going on, and um, yeah, film filmed it in Manchester where we were, and it's an interesting kind of thing behind the scenes, and it's interesting seeing it behind the scenes. I say for watching it for so many years, and you're kind of there, I think at like six a.m. or something crazy like that, and for Manchester it wasn't too bad for me, but you're there very early and in a nice way but I mean it like they keep you on edge the whole day and I get why they get the, it's all about TV you don't really have a structure what's happening you don't know there's four of you there I think they film like four or something a day but you don't know who's going on in what order you could they basically tell you look come at six you could be here till 9pm and you're yeah, fine so yeah anyway if they're doing all of this and was doing that's like half seven in the morning and we'd basically just put our set out we've done like our walkthroughs where you know in case someone coughs or whatever they've got like outtakes of you walking in and walking out again and um and yeah anyway and then i started hearing deborah and the voices behind the curse had come again and they're like all right you know josh you're on in you're on in two minutes i'm like wait what <laughs> I, was, I was like settled in i had folders i was like i'm ready to go on at like 6 p.m tonight like, <laughs> i've got i've still got like a pitch um no um but then yeah kind of go on and you know, it, it just flew by. Like we filmed, I think it was like two, two and a half hours for what is, I think 10 minutes on TV and it's on YouTube now as well. Um, so they really edit it down. Even though the editing, they did it very well. It seemed seamless, but that was two and a bit hours. And and it was an interesting one because I, you don't, you finish it and you leave. And then until it airs, you don't, you don't even know if you're going to air. They film a lot more people than air and all the usual stuff that happens in TV. So you don't even know if you're going to be on it. And, and yeah, I remember sitting there watching it with my wife and her family and was just so nervous. I was like, I know what happens, but I don't know what's going to be showing. I know there were some good bits, there were some probably very bad bits. Uh, and I think overall it was very good. And it, you know, they really focused on on our story and, and what we do. And we had that product that an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old understand. You know, everyone understands what socks are. Everyone understands what homelessness is. You know, part of our business, I think, model didn't really come through at that time. And I, you know, I did, I did do the classic thing, which I hated, was was messed up a bit on the numbers with VAT um, back in what was it, 2019. And yeah, yeah, you know, overall, it was a very positive experience. You know, the edit, I don't know if you've seen it, but the edit was very, very positive of us and what they said. And it's an interesting one because we were actually doing quite a bit with Peter Jones at the time and his foundation for for kids. Um, so I was speaking there, but I couldn't mention a lot of these things that we were happening around us and these big partnerships that we had and. There's one take actually that's shown on TV as a tray that we've had hidden behind our um, display. And what I, my strategy was, breadcrumbs, I called it. I like left little bits of information out there for them to like grip onto. And there's some bits they gripped onto. It was perfect. They were like, you know, about dyslexia or about 
being on benefits and my story and how to build how I build this company. But there was bits that he just completely passed over, like that we were basically making all these great socks for these huge companies. And it was meant to be one of those like aha moments. They go, that's a business, that's a valuation. And I kind of, they just go, oh yeah, like, no, you made no money selling socks to airlines. And I'm like, no, 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 look at, look at all these socks I've got here. Like, you completely missed the point. But anyway, so it was, it went by very quickly. But, but yeah, I really recommend it for anyone. It's just, I've been going in eyes wide open it. And it also now, you know, years on, it still gets mentioned a lot. It's that tick box, especially with a lot of the big companies or uh, celebrities and PR that we do. It's that little name drop. It's like, oh, we were on Dragon's Den. It's like almost like a badge of honor, even though we didn't get investment. You know, it was kind of like, a, oh, you guys are on Dragon's Den. Or out here we say we're on Shark Tank because it's the equivalent. You know, people are like, oh, you sell socks for a living, all right. And then as soon as I was on Dragon's Den, they go, oh, oh okay, I'll listen a little bit more to what you do. So I do recommend it, um, but... Yeah, it's, it's PR and it's marketing at the end of the day, so entertaining TV, which which was good. I, I hope to think we did that. And if anyone listening wants to see Josh being grilled by the dragons, it's all over YouTube, and I'm sure we can pin it in some kind of description when this launches. Amazing. Next point I've got to discuss is brand and celebrity endorsements. I've put who, what, where, when, and how, Josh. Uh, you know, you sent me the, the list on the email of some very, very big celebrities and figures, both in the UK and internationally. How have you got these people on board and passionate about your business? Yeah, I mean, many, many stories and many, many, many I probably can't share publicly. Um, but, you know, I think we've been very fortunate. I think, you know, we've been true to what we do since day one. You know, the quote was, what if socks could change the world? Like, that's changed, but everything we do and every decision we try and make is true to that. And I think... You know, that's where we've been able to pick up, you know, for partnerships and uh, featured, you know, campaigns with likes of eBay and Vodafone and stuff over the years. But also, you know, some of the fantastic celebrities we're able to work with. So, you know, yeah, Nuri Farouk and Stephen Fry, our massive supporters, Michael Sheen's been for years. And each one's just been a random situation. It's a bit like, it's, it's you know, it's going back to this actually, it's connecting the dots. If I tell you the story of every celebrity that we've met or spoken to or has worn our socks... It completely makes sense when you map it back, but from where we started to where we got to them or how it happened is completely random, uh, you know, without all the, the pieces in the middle. And it's, you know, not to quote Steve Jobs, but I'll have to with this one. It's, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You have to connect them looking back. And, you know, the, they've seen Richard Branson in Virgin's new hotel and opening, you know, with this private dinner is like, just made sense. Like it just happened because all these things have been happening that led to that. But for me in Suffolk, starting a sock company and Richard Branson being my idol to handing him a pair of socks with his face on it is like mental, <laughs> you know, how that happened. So it's, it's been fantastic. And, you know, yeah, Liam Gallagher and Ed Sheeran and all sorts we've had over the years. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more, especially with the US about to come. Um, but it, it's just, it's it's just probably part of it's being cheeky. It'd be my, my, uh, my little insight into it. It's being cheeky. The answer's already no, so don't ask the question, is what I try and say with this. The door's already closed, so just try and push it, and if it opens, it opens. I think that's what we try and say, um, and I said this at the school talk, it's ask for forgiveness, not permission. Now, I will get you in trouble, and I will admit, sometimes we have got in trouble with various things we've done, uh, but it's always been in good reason why we've done it. It's been in good motivations and honest intentions, and if we've made a mistake, we put our hands up and apologise, and we've, of course, corrected. Um, but in most of the times, it's a little bit cheeky, a little bit bold, um, and just trying a crazy idea, basically. Amazing. The last question I've got to ask, Josh, 
um, question, maybe a point to, to point of discussion is it'd be excellent to learn more about the work you have done with the World Dyslexia Assembly in New York. Yeah. Um, so say it's fantastic. And it's fantastic charity, international charity. That's goal is to basically make themselves exist, um, not exist anymore. You know, they want to change the definition of dyslexia. Um, and they're, you know, they've been doing phenomenal stuff in the last few years. But I think the last few months with, with what they did in New York was whole next level. And it's just such an energy around it at the moment. And I think, you know, we, we linked up with them a few years ago off the back of an article, a bad article, what I want to clear in the mirror, where they completely misquoted how much money we we're making off eBay. And it was a really bad written article, which still hasn't been corrected. So I'll call that out. But anyway, we, the good news of that, we did mention my dyslexia and it was picked up. And yeah, we connected with this charity and Kate and, and the team there. And they're just a fantastic organization. And we did a collaboration sock with them last year. Um, we kind of co-sponsored one of the the, the parties at, at the event here in New York uh, last month. And and yeah, Princess Beatrice and all these like just fantastic, 100 people, like these most fantastic, you know, entrepreneurial, non-entrepreneurial, royal, celebrity, whatever, dyslexic people in one room. And I think I was like the 99th person on the list. But anyway, I was in the room and I was very proud to be there. And, you know, we're just, just kind of being there and the kind of energy and, and the people that are, you know, not just in the UK, I thought it was very topical in the UK. And you say the dictionary has now put dyslexic thinking um, definition of what it is. And LinkedIn's put it as a skill, um, which is two of the big campaigns that they've been doing. And I saw they've literally just launched a new campaign today around AI and dyslexic thinking about the creativity that dyslexic thinking can bring with the processor structure that AI and chat GBT and things like that can bring. So it, it's I, scary, I think, but in a positive way to rare as the definition of dyslexia and the thinking is going to be another 12 months. Um, the, the team have been doing fantastic stuff and I think we're happy just to keep supporting them and do what we can do for what we know best, which is socks. Amazing. Josh, you've, you've sold me. During this call, I've purchased two of your coronation socks. So um, <laughs> Amazing. I'm, I think if we do a photo for this podcast, I'm definitely going to be wearing them when that happens. So... If the socks are raising, they, they just launched yesterday. They've been nearly sold out, actually. It's a good, good time. To shamelessly plug the business, StandForSocks.com. Everyone needs to buy a pair of these socks. I'm sure we'll put links in description, Twitter, sure Facebook, Instagram. Buy the socks, guys, for an amazing entrepreneur and for such an amazing cause. So I'm going to ask you one last question, everybody. So, and we ask this to everyone. Um, it's always, what advice would you give to your younger selves? Sure. Um. I think I think to my younger self, I think, you know, in the vein of everything I think that I've been talking about uh, for the last hour, I think it's embracing dyslexia earlier uh, as a superpower and what it is and not being, you know, I, I'd admit, you know, probably ashamed of it, being quiet and shy, shy about it in school, feeling embarrassed by it, you know, partly bullied at times about it from, from all different kind of places. And I think, you know, not worrying about that and thinking like actually this is going to be the best thing that happens to me in my life and accept that earlier I say I accepted it probably four or five years ago and I've really leaned into it now whereas back then I was always trying to really embarrass and shy about it so yeah. I think yeah embrace dyslexia early on it's you're very lucky to have it and uh yeah, don't be ashamed. That's really inspiring. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Ollie. Great interviewing. Thank you for your time, Josh. So exciting to see you again and hear hear all of that. It was absolutely brilliant. Thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. Stanfordsocks.com. Buy the socks. <laughs> <laughs> what a fabulous episode to finish series four with. 
It's been so entertaining and inspiring finding out about the highs and the lows of Josh's entrepreneurial journey and the social impact that Stand for Socks has had. I've learned a lot about finding ways around problems and leaning into your superpower. Do listen to any of the other episodes, which are all on the website, ipswitch.school. Goodbye.